our world, isn't it? He says, as you act, know that all things come under the judgment of God. That's something that he's been speaking about for 11 chapters. Uh, We are under him. So you're to do whatever your eyes see and following the ways of your heart under the understanding that you do it beneath God and his rule and his sovereignty. Because the days are coming when things change. Days of blindness and cataracts. When the sun, light, so the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. When the clouds return after the rain. Days of tremors and walking sticks and dentures and glasses. Although these days you don't take so many, the dentures sort of have given away. Now what we do is we just have teeth that are mostly plastic and we're put there by a drill and a dentist. And the bit by bit your teeth become less and less teeth and more and more filling. And there's little tiny bits of teeth attached to the filling here and there. And your eyesight goes... I watch my, my father. It's actually a bit of a genetic thing, but as he's got older, it's got worse. Um, he'll sit there in his hands like this. Never get Dad to do painting for you because <laughs> the brush is going to go like... Which is okay if you're trying to... you know. It's a time when you do less and hear less. You don't get out. The doors to the street remain closed. The sound of grinding fades. You're no longer out there at work. You get up with the birds, but you can't hear them. A time of fear and fading and, yes, Viagra. And ultimately, it is a path that leads as the paths of life under the sun have been shown to lead all through Ecclesiastes. It's a world that leads you to a box. When people go to their eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts an incredible poem of getting old there, doesn't he? It's very vivid. And you can tell He's not writing from an outsider's perspective. He's obviously got a few of these things going on for him as he writes it. No. As people go to their eternal home and mourners go about in the streets, that's the conclusion to getting old. It's said that we spend the first... What is it, 18 years of your life building your body and the rest of your life watching it fall apart again? Gravity just seems to take hold and everything starts to just sort of droop. You get nanoflaps instead of bulging muscles. Wrinkles. Your ears just get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Is it any wonder the writer talks about the days that you enjoy under the sun being something worth focusing on, enjoying? Light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. Remember, this, this is the guy who keeps talking about life under the sun. This is, this is life in this world. Enjoy it, he says. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. There is a meaninglessness to life under the sun. To a conclusion that has a box. Well, our world has a solution. In life under the sun, you can tune in and you will hear lots of people talking about a solution, but I'm going to suggest to you that it's not a solution. The solution is denial. We have a problem, solution, pretend it isn't there. It's a pretty common way of dealing with problems in our world, isn't it? Let's just pretend there isn't one. For instance, you know, this whole language, when is a person old? Um, that whole thing that being old is being a little bit older than me, however old I may be at the time you ask me, it's based in an, uh, the idea that I, I can't be. Old is one of those funny words that we... Avoid sometimes. But when it comes to language of old, if old is a word we avoid, the next one we avoid like the plague, death. Don't we? We throw in euphemisms talking about end of life, not death. We talk about someone who's passed away as they've just caught a bus and just kind of gone down the street. I did some searching because I thought, what are, what are the images we have of getting old? Well, the easy way to do that is look up retirement villages to see what people do. Can I just see, anybody here, I know there's a couple of people who are living in retirement accommodation, yes? I, I want to ask you, how often have you done that? <laughs> have you done the can-can on the lawn of... This is the advertising. Woohoo! Party time, it's can-can time in the nursing home. I just love that photo because if you look carefully, they've all got their, leg, their hand under their leg to hold it up. <laughs> <laughs> or there's this one. Because we all know that if you, when you go into these places, you spend all your days sipping cocktails and uh, enjoying a good round of golf. Correct? We throw these images out to deny a reality that is an inevitability in terms of ageing. Here's some details about our cosmetics industry. The global market value at the moment of the cosmetics industry, sorry, in 2018, the global market was 38.6 billion US dollars spent on anti-ageing creams and things like that. The report that I read projected that by 2026, 
it would be 60.2 billion US dollars. It's a staggering amount designed to remove the appearance of getting older. So you can't do anything about the reality. It's just there to make it look like it isn't happening. Now, yes, it's primarily aimed at, aimed at women. Although, have a look at the stuff about baldness and hair regrowth for men. The big market share is skin creams. Get rid of the, those wrinkles that we all don't want. Is that right? So our world's answer to ageing is to cover it, to pretend it's not there, to make it look like it isn't happening, and to use language and images to deny it. I want to say something here because I think the fact that we have a cosmetics industry that is that driven by keeping a picture of beauty that is primarily directed at women in our culture and our society actually says something that, as men, we need to get our heads around. I want to ask the men in this room, what is your standard of beauty? Because when we listen to our world... We try and make and ask for people to conform to a standard of beauty that, we set for, that, that has been set forward. And it's reinforced by our expectations. Now, those standards have changed over time. You, all you've got to do is look at artworks and you will see the changes. I remember the time, a, a really horrific period during my lifetime when the standard of beauty was so emaciated that usually you were in hospital for anorexia. Do you remember the waif look? What a horrific thing to put up as a standard of beauty. Can I suggest, I think a biblical picture, I talk here particularly to those who are married or who may one day get married, the picture of beauty is the person you are married to. That is the standard of beauty. Them, as they look. Don't ever throw this picture that drives that cosmetic industry to cover up reality in a veneer of falsehood. All right, rant's over. I'm getting off my high horse. What does the writer of Ecclesiastes say, though? What does he say? He says, no, if all of that is true, there is an inevitability of death that is ahead. Aging is a thing. Get used to it. The days of trouble are coming and they will be many. Banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. The obsession with trying to create a picture of youth, hold on to a picture of youth where you can do the can-can on the lawn of your nursing home. Do a quick round of golf. Plaster your face with creams that'll make you look 70 years younger. Doesn't happen. And you don't want it to. No, he says, get rid of that stuff. That youth and vigour that we so obsess with. 
is falsehood, is a denial of reality, and actually is unhelpful. Don't do it. What do you do instead? What does he say you should do instead? He says, remember your creator. That's what you do. You remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. Remember your creator, and if you're nowhere near that aging time, if you're still somebody who stands in the young corner, now's a good time to get this straight. You are a creature. Life under the sun has no meaning. Life in the creator is the only thing that has meaning. Remember him, says the writer, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. I think there's a, it's hard to know exactly what he's meaning here. Obviously, silver, gold, precious. Something precious that is broken, that is destroyed. It's, it's, there's a possibility that the picture here is of the, a bowl in the ancient world was often used for a light. So you would get a bowl and you would float wicks in the, in the bowl and, and, and you would have lights in there. And it's possibly a suspended light. Whatever it is, certainly the precious idea is there. And then, of course, you get the pitcher shattered at the spring, the wheel broken at the well. This is about water, the stuff of life, no longer attainable. What's he saying? Remember your creator. Remember your creator before it's too late. Before that which is precious, and that means you, is crushed. Before that which is precious is cut. The life that you have. Before you're cut off from the stuff of life like being cut off from water. Before the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Don't get misty-eyed and think that this is something to do with you know, the body and the spirit that soars free. That's Greek thinking. It has got nothing to do with biblical understanding of the person. What's the picture here? comes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So the man becomes a living being. How is the man becoming a living being? Because dust, the stuff of this world, is animated by the God who is life. What is Ecclesiastes talking about? The undoing, the unmaking of a human being. You could actually get to this point in the book of Ecclesiastes and read it as enjoy life now because it's all downhill from here. It really does sound like that, doesn't it? But let's sit with those words again. Remember your creator. See, life under the sun that he's been exploring for 12 chapters is life lived where you find wisdom in your experience of this world. That's what he's been doing, hasn't it? He's experienced, used his experience of the world to try and find something that has meaning. That's been his search for meaning. Whenever you look at a logic problem, sometimes you've actually got to ask, was the problem 
There's the reason that this doesn't work out because they started in the wrong place. See, the writer of Ecclesiastes really pushes hard. What happens if you look at your experience to give you understanding of meaning in this world? Answer, you don't find any. What happens when you look to try and find the world that you can can take control of, that you can say, this is my world, I can control it, I can make it mine, I can put it to my use. You don't find meaning. It becomes like vapour, a chasing after the wind. What happens when I look for meaning without the fear of God, without an understanding of who he is, without an understanding of his sovereignty and majesty. You get that conclusion, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. That's why the the writer of this book, the one who's compiled the sayings of the teacher, talks about it as being like goads, like a nail driven through a piece of wood used to... Startle an oxen and keep them moving. What's he done? He's given us a shock. He's given us a warning that pursuing meaning without God, pursuing life under the sun, is pointless and fruitless. So here, take note, feel that goad. Travel in the direction you need to. What is that direction? Well, he sums it up. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You aren't sovereign over your world. You can't make it yours. It's not You can't wring consistency out of it. You can't build your own meaning in it. Because you're building out of mist, out of vapour, out of nothing. It is meaningless if you look at it that way. Your only hope is to look to the God who gives everything meaning, who brings all deeds into judgment, to fear him, to respect his sovereignty, that he is God and you are not. But as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, we're still not that far through our Bibles, are we? There's still a lot of our Bible left. And it's actually important that we continue the tale after chapter 12. Because the New Testament picks up the language of Ecclesiastes and points us instead to where there is real hope and real meaning. How do you build a life of meaning? What is the point? What is the point? How do you build a life of meaning when there is a box that stands at the end of life that seems to rob everything of its meaning? When the coffin seems to rob life of any value? 
here the New Testament talks in wonderful terms about resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Can you guess what the word futile is? It's the same word, meaningless, vapour. This is the Ecclesiastes word. What makes life meaningless? When death is the end of the story. Because it's not. It's not the end of the story. Because if it's the end of the story, well, anyone who falls asleep in Christ. Same as anybody else who, falls, who, who dies, the, the euphemism falls over and becomes another one of those silly euphemisms just to, there to avoid the reality of death. All who die are, are just lost, that's it. They're worm food, that's done. Anything that was potential in their life is over, it's gone. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... If we are living as people gathering together Sunday by Sunday to look for meaning in this world, by goodness, we're a pitiable bunch. We might as well have fun where we can because life is getting snuffed out and everything we do is pointless. And nihilism is the only logical worldview and is a pretty miserable place to live. says the Apostle Paul. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. It was a, a fact that was witnessed by multitudes. People who, when he writes to the Corinthians, were still alive, were eyewitnesses. You can go, he said to the Corinthians, you can go and look them up. You can go and have a conversation with them. Ask them what it was like to meet this guy who you, you saw executed. The reality of Jesus' resurrection says that resurrection has begun. He is described as the first fruits. You know the first fruits? When there's an apple orchard and the first apple becomes ripe, what do you know is about to happen? Apple season. When the first grape ripens on the vine, the harvest is about to begin. It's grapes time. When Jesus rises, what's about to begin? Resurrection season. That's why as he goes on in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks about this transformation out of a world of futility and a body that breaks down and ages, that loses its vision and loses its hearing and ends up with dentures and walking sticks and so on. No, the body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
The promise of the gospel is that in Christ we have a hope that takes us beyond the box. That there is resurrection. That life is not measured as young, old, dead. Gone. That that is a false measure. And actually, to live as though that were the truth is a denial of the creator, is a rejection of the creator who designed us for something else. Friends, the answer to the meaninglessness of this world is a God who takes us beyond the box. If you don't know that wonder, that knowing Christ gives you. Can I say today's a really good day to change that? If you don't know what it is to have a hope that goes beyond the box, today's a really good day to change that. If you don't know a world that has more meaning than enjoy life now because it's all downhill from here, Today's a good day to change that. Find out about Jesus, what he has done. Come meet Jesus. And in Jesus, find life. Because when you know Jesus, everything changes. Life changes to something that is lived with eternity in your eyes. You see, the picture of the scriptures is a picture that goes so far beyond the box. It's a ridiculous. A picture of life that is not bound by the keepers of the house trembling and old men stooping and the grinders ceasing because they are few or because they are plastic. No, It's a picture of life where he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. For those who are in Christ, this is still the title page in the story of your life. And I don't care how old you are. You haven't made it to chapter 1 yet. It's a wonderful hymn where it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This is eternity. What's 100 years or so? It's a blink of an eye. Can I encourage you who know Jesus, live with eternity in your eyes. The reality that that is the future you will see. That you will see 10,000 years go by and still be on the first few pages. I love that picture. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. But can I also encourage you That if you are somebody who belongs to Jesus and has eternity in your eyes, surely it changes how we look at the world that is around us, caught up in the lie of life lived under the sun, caught up in trying to find meaning 
where there is no meaning, trying to chase the vapour. In 2 Corinthians, Paul puts this reality in these words. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says was the key, isn't it? What do we do? We try to persuade others. This is what drives us to speak of Jesus. This is what drives us to invite people to meet Jesus. I want to give you a challenge whilst you're still reading the title page of the story of your life. While you're still waiting for chapter one to begin. Every day, ask God to bring somebody into your world today every day that's called today, who you can introduce to Jesus, who you can rescue from a meaningless world by showing them Jesus, who does all the work to rescue them. By showing them to Jesus, who is meaning itself. By showing them to Jesus, whose resurrection overturns death and removes its sting. By showing them Jesus in whom eternal life is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a point to life in this world. To know you. To fear you. To come to Jesus to meet him, to know the wonder of rescue in him, to know the wonder of life in him, to know of a future that has no equal and has no end. Lord, we pray that you would rescue us from building a life or trying to build a life where we rest meaning from life under the sun which has no meaning chasing a vapour that we will never catch. Instead, help us to fix our eyes on eternity, on Jesus, and find life in him. And having found it, Lord, we long for those around us to find it too. Thank you that the meaninglessness of this world under the sun is not the last word. Thank you for Jesus, resurrected, and in whom we have hope that goes beyond the grave, beyond the box. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.